You're listening to Digital Employee Experience, a show for IT changemakers. Let's get into the show. Hello, changemakers. Welcome to Digital Employee Experience. This is Tom McGrath, recording on President's Day. And so without the president of this show, Tim Flower, who is, I hope, busy being celebrated in his native USA. In his absence, so we have things pretty well covered with two special guests from the old world, two of the liveliest, most engaging thought leaders on the future of a digital workplace that I know. Gentlemen, I've wanted to have on the show for a while. The first of them is Paul Hardy, evangelist and chief innovation officer at ServiceNow. Paul, welcome to the show. Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to have an all-English show, all-English guests on President's Day. It feels appropriate. And before we move on to our second guest, Paul, I just wanted to ask you one itching question. How does one come to be an evangelist? Do you have to go to evangelical college? Is there a career path there? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, Tom, actually. You know what? A few people ask me this, and I often say, do you know what? This is really about being passionate and loving what you do. I've had a really varied career throughout my life. You know, I've done retail. I've traveled a lot, both at work and, and personally, and obviously using technology all, all the time and all the way. So there's not really an education for it. But I suppose with 25 years using technology to transform businesses, whether you're, you know, and I've worked in IT predominantly, but you could argue that this has been focused around engaging across the business with HR. And I used to be involved in facilities management. So it's really, and and kind of, I suppose on top of that is then just using your experience. One of the kind of, you know, mandates that I have for myself is can I be more successful tomorrow than I was yesterday, right? So Mm -hmm. if I can help others do that, then I think that's kind of where the evangelism comes from is really around how can you tell great stories based upon your experience and obviously now based upon all the conversations that I have with ServiceNow customers. I'm really kind of boiling that down and bringing it together. So unfortunately, there's no qualification for it. (laughs) I'm sure there'd be a few people diving onto that course if that existed. But it's really, you know, how, how can we just celebrate our successes a bit more often? Especially in technology, you know, people don't really do that a huge amount. They kind of just grind on. They do their stuff. They do their work. And then they just keep going. And and, and I think recognition is super important. And part of being an evangelist is recognizing when people are doing a great job, when they're doing something special. And, you know, kind of grabbing hold of that and being able to tell that story to other people so that they can come on that journey too. Fantastic. And we have our second guest is also passionate and a great storyteller, even if he isn't an official evangelist like you, Paul. And that is next thing's very own senior consulting specialist, David D'Agostini, known universally around these parts as Dago. Dago, warm welcome to you. Thanks very much, Tom. And hi, Paul. Good to catch up again after what seems like ages. It does indeed, my friends. How are you? Yes, I'm all good, thanks. In fact, I was just thinking about the comments you're making, you know, especially in in the the world that we tend to bump into quite a lot around service desk. I think telling a positive story is even more important because sometimes it's too easy to get dragged into a perception that we only ever talk to the business when, when stuff's going wrong. And so... Actually, to be reminded that the things going wrong are the tip of the iceberg, really. And and actually, you know, organizations wouldn't be in the position they are today because technology is becoming, you know, increasingly critical to their health and well-being, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, arguably, Dago, you know, people talk about technology as a function, and, and we've talked about this before, is it's it's not really a function anymore. It's not really a department. It's It's actually... The business is actually part of people's everyday life, right? So to, as you used to say, to the only time that we have a conversation with the business is when something's broken or we're trying to do a, a service review on telling the business some bad news, we should be telling them often, you know, especially with an agile world that we live in, we should be celebrating and celebrating with the business every two weeks, right? 
in theory. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things that attracted me really to, to next thing because you can kind of uncover that and you can surface what's really happening rather than just the squeaky wheels on the production line. Mm. When did you jump ship Dago? Were you, were you at service now and then next thing, right? How long ago was that? Yes, that's right. I joined here about three and a half years ago and I'd actually been at service now for I think something like nine years. I joined in 2009. So back in the day when I think the UK office had seven people in it at the time. We were in a tiny little serviced office above Sainsbury's in Waterloo. And it was interesting because there was a similar feeling that there was, it was a kind of game changer, really. I think yeah, I guess yeah. we might touch on this a bit later on, but you know, I'd, I'd been working in ITSM tool organizations since 1991 you know I joined a company called Peregrine Systems in 1991 which was you know that was kind of one of the one of the main kind of standards and then joined Nextthink when it was when it was obvious that it was time to make a change you know from very fixed very inflexible platforms and you know ServiceNow was sort of at the forefront of of a, a kind of a SaaS or cloud-based approach to to delivering this service. So you didn't join NextThink when you realised that Paul had the evangelist gig sewn up? No, I, I, I kind of, I, I stifled my... Uh, my <laughs> it wasn't an envy um, thing. No, we used to work together with Paul quite a bit, actually. I I we, we, used to, we used to work together at partner events and, and all kinds of stuff. And in fact, yeah, we did, we did a fair few road shows and things. Yeah. Interesting you say 2009. I was casting my mind back thinking when, when we actually met. And I know that, so I was a customer myself as well before joining ServiceNow. And we bought ServiceNow into to transform our business, right? And we yeah. bought that in 2009. Sure. And I remember, obviously, one of the first conversations was with Dago and Pinky. And the, the, the listeners that will have any knowledge of IT service management, ServiceNow would certainly know Pinky. And hello, Pinky, if you're listening, which I'm sure he will be. You know, we used to deal with the small team at ServiceNow to get stuff done, right? If there was a problem, we just ring them up. And as Dago said, it was a pretty small outfit in the UK back in 2009, 2010. But we just were able to get stuff done so quickly because we had, you know, a route to the developers, a route to the, the specialists. And I'm not saying it's any different now because I think we've, we've obviously scaled phenomenally. But, you know, that we kind of wind the clock back all the way to then. That was probably one of the reasons why we've got a strong relationship. And obviously, we've done a lot of work and we have similar mindsets as each other, which is mm -hmm. why we're here today. Yeah, I mean, that was always the interesting aspects used to seem to get kind of picked up by a previous organisation. I think, you know, quite, you, you, were, you were definitely in the forefront. I mean, I can remember having some interesting conversations about how the catalogue could be used as, as a almost like a shop window for a lot more than than just IT requests and, and kind of use it across the, the organisation, right? So it was, and I remember you even used to do a blog, didn't you, at one point back in the day? I've done all sorts, Dago, in my day. Blogging, tweeting, you know, white papers. I, I think that's part of, you know, what who we are. It's part of, you know, I, I'm not really after the likes and the, the claps hands either. I just, I, I want to ensure that we can share as much knowledge and share those stories that we talked about, yeah. you know, to, to engage with people. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we often talk and joke, you know, I'm a bit of a, an introvert at heart, which doesn't necessarily mean to say I don't want to meet people or speak to people, but it just means that I need different things to recharge. You know, I don't recharge mm. in, in big groups, but I love speaking to people about 
how they could be successful. Have they thought about doing things differently? Have they thought about, you know, starting with a blank sheet of paper? If they did, what would it look like? What would the new world look like? And I think to have those kind of conversations are inspiring and, and, and I get a lot out of those. Yeah. That's a good point then to ask what the overall emphasis on employee experience is doing to the development of ITSM and where you think it's going to continue to impact it in the future then? Well, I've, funny enough, I've just written an ebook that's not published yet called Human-Centred IT Service Management. So I think you find that probably <laughs> says it all. <laughs> yeah. It's not out yet. It'll be, when uh, is it out, Paul? I'm sure it'll, be, I'm sure it'll be available in Amazon soon. No, it's a, it's a service now, white paper, ebook that we're producing because we understand that people are having real challenges with doing what they've always done and not thinking it's okay just to go, let's stop for a minute. Let's just stop and kind of recount where we are. You know, one of arguably one of ITIL's best, ITIL V4's best points they made or methodology statements was start where you are. And I love that because so many organizations think we've got to go and fix the last 40, 50 years of, of what we've been doing. That's really tough to do. What you can start doing is saying from this moment on, starting where you are, mm -hmm. let's do things differently. Let's approach things differently. And I think, again, putting people at the heart of everything that we do is going to be absolutely critical to this not only to, as Dago said, around productivity and efficiency gains, but things like, you know, finding and retaining good people is going to become tougher and tougher than ever. I know at ServiceNow in 2020, we employed 2,000 people, 90% of which never came to an office. We never met them face-to-face. -face. So even more critical now that understanding how they feel that we've got a diverse workforce that we care about that workforce. That means that people want to stay and that, that people help drive that business forward. And I think that's, you know, super important. Yeah, totally with you there. I mean, there's there's a good example there of a, of a customer in Europe that we've got who actually sort of got talking to Nextthink originally, not because their, you know, technology was blue screening, but because their CEO was worried that they were unable to continue hiring graduates at the annual intake because they were getting a reputation for being a little bit stayed and having a workplace that that didn't match what people were doing at, at home on their home devices and i'd echo your sentiments on the the best practice i mean it is it is quite heartening to see that that itil4 has actually made some quite big changes in thinking really i mean absolutely start where you are but the idea as well that maybe a focus on process isn't the only thing to look at you know they've even got the term they use now engage to actually you know, have a dialogue between, you know, IT and people delivering the service and, and the business. You know, they've actually recognized that that engagement is, is more than just a request on a self-service form. It, it's a complete sort of ongoing dialogue. And where do you think proactivity enters the equation here? In terms of, I mean, everybody wants to do proactivity, right? I mean, it's been a term that I think all of us have sort of played about with for, for decades, you know, and even here at home sometimes, to be honest, but especially in these days of lockdown. But I think what's hampered people is just organizations have got the aspiration. They want, they want to be proactive. They want to be in front of things. You know, no, no organization deliberately goes and invests millions in deploying a service desk. They do it because they have to. If you had a way to have an understanding of data and how services are used and accurate information about what actually goes on, then you'd be able to build services that didn't go wrong so often. You'd be able to focus on innovation rather than focusing on just keeping the lights on. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the whole 
again, I mean, it, it's an idea that's been around for decades, the whole idea of, you know, maturity, process maturity, technology maturity, organizational maturity. It's one thing to have a vague idea that there's a demand from the business that we need different colored buttons or better applications or, or whatever the case may be. But it, it's so easy to design new applications with the best will in the world that don't quite match what the business wants because we haven't got the data to help us make the decisions that we need to. And so I think proactivity is, is another reflection on that. You know, if we can get in front of it and start to using one of your favorite words, Paul, you know, kind of predict what it is that the business wants based on understanding current patterns of behavior, then we can start not only to deliver better services, but also tell a positive story rather than be the recipient of bad press. That's a great kind of roundup of where many people that I speak with, many customers that, that, we, that we speak with. The other side of it is, you know, this move to proactivity or predictivity is, is really your ability to use the data that you've got. And so many organizations have got all this data already. It's just kind of having a way to navigate their way through it and then make something of it. And you're right, you know, in, in a lot of cases, Building a new application nowadays, as we know, whether it's on the ServiceNow platform or it's elsewhere, is easy. That's not your problem. Yeah. The problem is adoption, which arguably is, you know, the biggest KPI of the delivery of anything you do in business now is if people use it, then you've been a success. Yeah. If they don't use it, then you've clearly failed in something. But it's actually building it to do and deliver the things that are going to help them, yeah. whether that's moving that person from, you know, removing some of the mundane repeatable tasks that they used to do to actually enabling them to do other things. You know, a lot of companies we speak to now are moving to kind of this task or activity management kind of process, which is when someone joins your organization, you effectively know, you know, you've employed them because they've got the skills to do the job that you've advertised. What about all of the other skills that they've got that you didn't ask them if they've got? Yeah. And, and probably may never ask them and they didn't put it on their resume or their CV because they didn't think it was pertinent for that interview. Imagine, you know, someone might speak Japanese or someone might have, you know, be able to do programming visual plus that's, that's in sales. It doesn't mean to say that they don't want to do that or in marketing or in, or, or in any business. So actually we really start to see, and this is where we get that kind of the take up of people wanting to stay in organizations is that they're not just doing this blinkered role. They're actually able to start getting involved in other things that might excite them and they might enjoy doing. Yeah. But again, to your point, Dago, is our ability to reuse data and reuse the components that we already have, therefore enabling people to work better and love what they do. Yeah, a good sort of example, sort of close to that. I mean, this is while I was still at ServiceNow, I did some work with one of the big five, big consulting companies, and, and they actually wanted to use ServiceNow to design their consultants kind of scheduling app. And the idea they had behind it, and I'd, I'd have to check in with them to see how it went actually, they wanted to build an app that didn't only help them put together a team where everybody knew how to write JavaScript or do .NET or whatever it was their customer wanted them to do. When they assembled their teams, they wanted also to pull in additional information, like I'm going to pull a team together. Okay, they all know how to do technical thing X, Y, and Z, but they can't work together successfully as a team unless some of the softer things are in place as well. So they wanted, as part of the team building of team selection workflow they wanted to know what people's exactly to your point what their other skill sets were what their interests were 
all kinds of stuff to do with kind of, you know, working patterns and kind of personal traits that meant that they were more likely to pull together teams that were going to be more effective when they actually engaged with a customer. And to do that in a kind of virtual world where you're pulling together, you know, teams that are kind of fleetingly together, they're they're working for a few weeks and then they're off doing other things. It's a huge success factor if you can get, get people to hit the ground running as a team rather than have to spend a long time getting through niggles and arguments and politics before they can actually start getting down to some serious work. Really, really interesting stuff there. And it just struck me as you were talking that, you know, if we had more information about personas and about working patterns and and those kinds of things, then, you know, potentially you can, you can make even more fact-based decisions and, and move things along even better. Yep. A persona is something that are very much on service now's radar at the moment, Paul. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we're, we're looking pretty heavily at both personas and in industry verticals, because we know that, that while a lot of organisations are challenged with the same or similar issues, you know, in automating work, or even moving from reactive to proactive, you know, as, as an example, it's clear when we start doing benchmarking that there are similarities across industries, yeah. and those similarities equally are across different personas. So whether you take that from, you know, a service desk or a shared service center analyst perspective, all the way up to the CEO, there's clearly a number of different personas in that space that that have different requirements, want different dashboards, do different things on different, you know, on a different basis. So to recognize that is, I think, super important for us to drive these conversations and therefore the products that support those conversations forward. Excellent. So I want to get to kind of my corniest question of today, gentlemen, right? Because I have heard you guys in a few shows before, and I know why you are coy, I think, about talking explicitly about how powerful ServiceNow and NextThink are together. You don't want to be too self-promotional. But here's the thing. I have, in my couple of years at NextThink, spoken to a handful of customers, and when they describe the power of the integration, when they talk about what they've been able to do professionally because of it, they have, like, awe in their voice. You know, they're, they're genuinely staggered by what it's been able to, to help them to do. And so I wanted to really kind of lay it out unapologetically. Starting with you, Paul, what makes the integration so powerful? What's it able to do? Well, I think it's a great question, actually, Tom. And I think, you know, to really make a difference and provide services that people love, as we've, we've already talked about, and what they do, make them more productive, make that experience number one, and it's, that's got to be a priority. And I think transparency is key to this. So it's really providing the ability for people to understand, you know, things do break. And if they break, then that's fine. If they've got the wrong software installed on their desktop, then, you know, are they responsible for it? Is IT responsible for it? What we do know is the business pays for it. So I think it's really how how do things work from that end user that I don't like calling them end users, but I think I think you, you guys still refer to them. Customers, right? People. Mm. How do they how are they impacted by things that change in an organization? The key here is integration has to be straightforward. So using NextThink on the on top of the ServiceNow platform clearly gives you and offers you different mindset, different view, different lenses into your environment that you may not have seen before. We've worked tirelessly over the years to make integration super simple. And we know that NextThink being a partner with ServiceNow, that is simple as it should be. And I think the other thing to, to know, and we talk a lot about out-of-the-box capability, and sometimes it's, you know, it's kind of People look at it and go, yeah, out of the box, it's great, but it doesn't work for me. Well, a lot of the time, that's because people have spent years changing the norm, changing what works. And I think if you think about this more holistically and say, 
what actually do you need to drive change forward? What do you need to make your world look in a better place? Then actually using out-of-the-box capabilities, and I know you guys have got you know hundreds of KPIs and, and reports and personas in, in the platform that allow you just to turn it on and start where you are, as we said before, and not get too wrapped up into what used to be the status quo. The reason it's called that is because it hasn't changed. It's just been there. It's mm. been, it's legacy. It's the laggard. And then also talk, you know, as I've said before about, you know, really putting humans at the center of everything that you design and, and the reason that you do that. And I think working together will really enable everybody to go that extra mile, get the extra piece of informational data that they need to make those informed decisions. And that's really what we're here. You know, Gago's mentioned that quite a lot is people, you know, it's easy to make decisions. It's less easy to make great decisions based upon history or data. And when you start doing that, you start moving a lot, lot quicker and it becomes more agile. I'm not necessarily talking from, you know, and maybe an agile methodology, you know, in sprints and cycles and, you know, whatever else. But this is about just being a more agile or certainly a hybrid organization where you can have iterative change always. Dago, I mean, would you think of any illustrations of, of, of how powerful the two tools are when they're combined? could lay it out um, even clearer yeah i mean we've we've we work we're working with a number i mean if you if you look at the actual number of customers who've not only got both tools but have sort of downloaded the integrations and have been working with them yeah. you know it, it's clear that people really do get get a lot of value out of it you know I'm, I'm working with a couple of customers at the moment where the nice thing is that we we can be quite structured and we we can have a a roadmap that align that kind of lines up with customers increasing maturity with with the product so it's very very straightforward to install the product start getting data install the connectors and start supporting for example every aspect of the incident process Pr pretty much kind of out of the out of the starting blocks but once once you start getting a little bit of resource or a bit of energy back when, once you start using next thing to reduce the time to resolve tickets, reduce the number of tickets that have been opened, you can, again, very easily start to focus on some of the more high value aspects, like extending the CMDB exactly to Paul's point to have a clear idea of things like adoption and capacity and availability of services to be able to start doing a much more complete job of things like change management. And at the far end, you know, getting into things like governance, identifying risk, identifying vulnerabilities, which are, you know, a huge challenge and a huge headache for a lot of organizations again you know to your point paul because the data isn't always available from the places where the data is needed most you know 80 percent of security breaches happen at the end users kind of end for example just one of those can have significant difference impact on a business not not just because one person is down but there's reputational damage there's damage to data there's the unknown horror of, no, of not knowing who else is going to have that same problem in in a day's time or a week's time and the unknown fear of you know whose laptop is going to be le left in the back of a taxi late one night and is that going to get onto the front page of the papers or not so there's there's all sorts of areas where the two platforms working together can really help to shine a light on things that would otherwise be very difficult to get hold of I mean, it's no exaggeration, right, to say that any customers are already leveraging both tools over the last year would have been much better equipped 
to deal with the events of the last 12 months too, no? You must have specific examples around the pandemic, around remote work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, particularly when you look at the chart, I was talking with an organisation just this morning who was telling me that they, you know, the last year has been started out with a massive fire drill, really, where, you know, tens of thousands of employees who were used to working in a very office-focused way with desktop machines coming into the office every day had almost on the turn of a coin, you know, almost overnight were told they were going to be working from home, that they were going to be handed a laptop. They had to get themselves familiar with it. They had to try and make sure that their home broadband was, was up to the job. They had to make sure that their firewalls and their VPNs and their working environment allowed them to continue to be good corporate citizens while at the same time dealing with all of the non-technical challenges of being forced to work under a lockdown, you know, with all sorts of plate conditions going on around them. And, you know, I think Nexting and ServiceNow both, I mean, it's all out there on LinkedIn and in the press. I mean, both organisations responded, you know, in a, in a really positive way, providing information to support remote working, providing kind of emergency response applications and so on. So I think it's, from my point of view, I think technology companies have, have made a big difference to the way that people have been able to operate during the during the past year. Presume you'd second that, Paul? Yeah, I think what's probably interesting there is, you know, to, to kind of build on what Dago was saying, you know, most organisations used to have, you know, tens or hundreds of offices around the world. Now they've got thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, because they've got people working from home. And I think in the most part, most organisations that I've spoken to did it relatively easily. And this kind of paints the picture that is, was this historically the reason that people didn't work from home? Was this based upon old ways of thinking, old ways of working? You know, I, I remember years ago, people go, how do you measure success? Well, the number of people that are in the office. You know, if half the, half the team aren't in the office on a Friday, we assumed back in the day that actually the performance would be less. But actually, if those people had done their work in the four or four and a half days, then why should they not be able to work somewhere different or feel that they've accomplished what they needed, needed to in a week? So I think this is really, you know, this is kind of really compounded this thought of are we measuring the right things? And when we do measure the right things, we know that we can then start looking in different places for, you know, efficiency gains and productivity gains. And we can start building things in different ways that, we, that we've never done before. So I think, you know, there's, this is, it's been a challenging year for all. There's no doubt about it. You know, ServiceNow, we created some, you know, return to work applications and some COVID vaccine management response and administration applications. You know, we were able to build those and deliver those to our customers in days and weeks, right? That would have never been possible before with, with old legacy ways of working and legacy mindsets. So I think this has kind of expedited some of these maybe political conversations that were going on in business because clearly technology is not the blocker here. This is whether people want to do it. This is the new way. You know, I don't, this is not the new way of working. I argue that we should have been working this way years ago. This has just kind of been the, 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 the hammer on the nail that said mm. we've got to do it today. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I, I think in terms of, you know, we were talking earlier in, in this kind of chat about how IT processes over the past 30 years have, have kind of ossified a little bit and they're a bit stayed and people work now the way they do because it's the way that previous generations did. I think the same goes for general working practices. I think that there has been a culture of management expectation that, you know, you come into the office, not because it's better or worse, but because just that's just the way we've always done it. 
and there's a real almost an unconscious resistance to doing things any other way right and i think that the fact that it's been forced on people well i think the proof is in that is in the evidence really i mean the number of reports you see of organizations basically saying you know we're not going to be expecting people to come back to the office in the same way they did you know working from home has proved to be very successful and very productive well, gentlemen, fascinating stuff. Really, really interesting. Great to have you on the show. Definitely want to have you back, hopefully next time when, when Tim is with us too. Sure, we'd have a lot of questions for you both. Before you both go, a bit of game theory. Considering you both worked together in the past, and I've long expected or, or thought that it wasn't all hard work at ServiceNow back in the day. It's always just a constant slog. You know, it wasn't all work and no play, is my, is my suspicion. So I'm asking you both, one after the other, if you have any, you know, unfortunate service now, Christmas party stories about the other, any embarrassing tales whatsoever. Paul, you get to go first. I don't, I don't think they're embarrassing. Well, the, probably the reason they're not embarrassing is because we did them together, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we both. Okay, a murder. I don't really want to incriminate myself or Dago for that. Matter. There you go. But having said that, you know, what if he incriminates suppose, you now, Paul? Come on, get in there. Well, I suppose interestingly, some of the things that we learn is, and you know, it kind of relates to a little bit to this pandemic, is that you know, I remember, I remember going with Dago to Dubai, you know, to, to present to customers, a number of customers. We used to do frequent road shows where we'd go out and talk to customers and we present new capabilities on the platform. And I suppose one of the things that we've learned by all of this is that you've got to have fun along the way. You really have. And there's, you know, there's no deep down and dirty stories. But one of the things that we have learned is that it's great to no longer have to fly to Dubai for five hours presenting and then fly straight home again, which Dago and I have done on many occasions yeah. where you've just, where we've shown up, you know, thrown up and then left. And, and you know, it's nice not doing that. <laughs> it's nice spending time with people and, and arguably, you know, doing these podcasts and doing various other webinars, you know, creates more of a community and, and, and more of a kind of a place where people can, have a conversation and, and learn something that they didn't know before. And so I think, you know, some of the, some of the best things that don't get me wrong. I cannot wait to get back on a plane. I, I'm absolutely yeah. hanging out for that. And, and Dago and I, you know, e even now we talk about doing things, you know, based upon joint outcomes, you know, we've got lots of customers that, that service now. And, and obviously you guys at next thing, you know, in, in a great partnership. So we should continue that. But at the moment, taking the best from that is that, we're looking forward to having a you know a good good beer around a an open fire maybe somewhere in a bar, but also not travelling unnecessarily far mm. just to you know just to have a conversation for a few hours. So that that'll be mine. Or at so least taking some time out to go dune buggying after the after the main event, right? Well, yeah, there is that. There is that. Did, did I break mine? I think I I think I might have broken there my brand your, new dune buggy. I think your pilot was quite enthusiastic, wasn't he? he um, yeah, I think that's. I think you could probably say that. Yeah. yeah. So it was all. It was all early nights in Dubai, was it? Was it Dago? Early mornings, I'd say. But <laughs> I think it all blends. I mean, it's a little bit like Vegas. I mean, I'm glad we kind of gravitated <laughs> to Dubai and not to Vegas. Obviously, with being involved in technology companies, I've I've been to Vegas enough times that, yeah. I, that I could park it there and it wouldn't be a problem. But, you know, this, it all blends into one, doesn't it? it? You kind of, you know, they pump oxygen into the casino. So, yeah. frankly, there's no window. So it doesn't matter where you are, what time it is. As long as you're with good people and you're trying to change the world, then it can't be a bad thing, can it? Well, there are times in life when you have to read between the lines, gentlemen. And I think this, this might be one of them. But, look, it's been lovely having you both on. And we hope to see you again. Paul, Dago, all the best. Yeah. Thank you very much. Nice, uh, nice try, Tom. Catch you later. See you later. Bye-bye.
Thanks, to make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave a rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. If you'd like to learn more about how NextThink can help you improve your digital employee experience, head over to nextthink.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.